Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. We're going to continue reading in the book of James. Please turn to page 1043 if you're on a church Bible. We're um, starting from chapter 2. James 2. My brothers and sisters... Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin 
and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Emma, thanks, Chris. My name is Paul. If I haven't met you, uh, please keep your Bibles open at James chapter 2, and I'm going to pray first as we come to God's Word. Heavenly Father, we come tonight expectantly, expecting you to speak to us, to encourage us, to challenge us. Uh, Heavenly Father, we long to understand you better and to live more faithfully and obediently as your children. We ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. On the screen are six pictures of famous men and women of faith. I want to ask you, what do these famous uh, Christians have in common? Do you know? Uh, William Wilberforce, William Booth, St. Francis of Assisi, St. Basil of Caesarea, Francis Willard, and Dorothy Day. Does anyone have any idea what these men and women have in common? No. Excellent. They're all Christians who cared for the poor, who cared for the needy, who loved the vulnerable and the marginalized in society when other people just walked on by. Uh, So William Wilberforce is famous for his fight to abolish the slave trades in the UK in the 1800s. Uh, William Booth, who in 1865 founded what we now know as a Salvation Army. And he was a man who really believed as a Christian, he could not just walk on by and watch the poverty and the oppression all around him. In many ways, William Booth was responsible for establishing what we now know as Housing Commission to house those who couldn't house themselves. He was responsible for what we now know as sort of job training for those who were seeking to get a new trade to earn some money. And he was responsible for really caring for the missions to provide uh, clothing and furniture for those who had nothing. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi, legend has it, in 1206, he entered St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican in Rome. And whilst he was overwhelmed by the opulence and the lavishness and the beauty of that cathedral. He couldn't shake from his head that picture of the beggar he just walked past as he walked into the cathedral. And so he walked out of St. Peter's Basilica, he took off his clothes, he gave it to the beggar, and he became a beggar. And he founded a monastery, a, a former monks, who really cared for the poor and the needy at that time. St. Basil of Caesarea preached a very, very famous sermon. He said this, The bread which you do not use is the bread of the hungry. The garment hanging in your wardrobe is the garment of the person who stands naked. The shoes that you do not wear are the shoes of the person who is now barefoot. 
And the money that you keep locked away is money that could relieve poverty. Uh, Frances Willard, the great American lady who really fought for women to get the vote. She's also known for her temperance reform. So she grew up with an alcoholic father, an alcoholic brother, and she saw the, the damage that alcohol had on society. And so she made it her mission in life to help those who were entrapped and enslaved by alcoholism. Uh, she had a, a longing and a heart for the, the women who worked on the street, the prostitutes, to relieve them from that. And she cared. Dorothy Day, the great Dorothy Day, you might not know that she fought tirelessly to improve the working conditions of the poor and the homeless. She, she founded the Catholic Workers' Movement because her faith could not walk on by when she saw those people in need. So all these men, all these women of history who were deeply concerned for the poor and the needy and the marginalised and the vulnerable, their faith led them to care. And they took James chapter 1, verse 27 seriously. That's like the, the title page of the rest of this chapter. James 1.27 says this, Religion that God our Father accepts as, as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. It's a confronting verse, isn't it? We can't skip over that verse. We can't ignore that verse. God is saying a faith not lacking will mean caring for the poor, caring for the helpless, caring for the vulnerable. As I said last week, in Jesus' day, the, the widows and the orphans were the most needy. They had no social welfare. They had nowhere to support themselves. They lived in poverty. And it wasn't the government who cared for them. It was the church. It was the church who set up food rosters for the widows. The church set up the first tier fund. The church collected money for the starving Christians. Why? Because God is a father to the fatherless. And our God is a defender of the widows. And we're supposed to be like his hands and feet, aren't we? Listen to the book of Deuteronomy. If there's a poor man among you, one of your brothers, in any of the towns of the land which the Lord your God has given you, you must not harden your heart, nor close your hand to your poor brother. You shall freely open your hand to him and give generously for his needs. The book of Proverbs, he who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord and the Lord will repay him for his good deed. Or perhaps more confronting, 1 John. If anyone has material possessions and sees their brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the lover of God be in that person? Uh, dear children, let's not love with words or speech, but with actions and with truth. See, God expects us, God commands us to care for those who can't care for themselves. Remember the stats I shared last week that 1.2 billion people live on less than a dollar a day. That's less than the equivalent Australian dollar a day. Every day, 68,000 people die of starvation. And what about the needs here in our church? People in this church who can't feed themselves and can't clothe themselves. And we can't just walk on by. So let me ask us, why don't we care for the poor and why don't we care for the needy? Is it just the excuses, it's too hard or we're too tired or we're too busy? Is it the theological debate, you know, should we do social action or should we do gospeling? We do both. 
I reckon deep down, the, the real reason why we don't care for the poor and we don't care for the needy is the issue that James addresses in chapter 2. And in one word, it's the word favoritism. But we choose to invest our time and our energy and our money on people just like us. We see people who are different from us. It's all too hard. James' point today is very, very simple. Do not show favoritism. Do you see that in chapter 2, verse 1? Chapter 2 flows on from chapter 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Literally, do not receive the face. Don't make judgments about people based on their externals. Don't discriminate based on what you see with your eyes. He's saying in verse 1, if you're a believer, then we boast in the glory of Jesus. So why do we give so much glory to other human beings? Why, why are you so swayed by what suburb someone lives in or what car they drive or what clothes they wear? Why, why does a skin color matter? Why does social background affect the way that you treat people? James says, please don't look at someone and, and judge them just by what you see and, and work out whether they are worth getting to know. But we'd never do that, would we? I think we do it all the time. James is a brilliant storyteller. He says, okay, let's think about your gatherings. Let's think about your church service. Let's, let's pretend it's a Sunday night here at Church by the Bridge. It's 5.30 and, and this place is packed with new people, people you've never set eyes on before. And in through our door tonight walks a, an old person, frail, with a, with a walking stick. How do you treat him? And then walks in this beautiful, glamorous woman who's dressed in finest Prada and Gucci. How do you treat her? The man in the wheelchair who is dribbling saliva, how do you treat him? The schizophrenic woman. The person who doesn't speak very good English. The celebrity you've seen on Home and Away. The gay couple walking holding hands. All these different people and you've never met them before. And God says to us tonight, how do you treat them? Do you treat them all equally? Or do you discriminate and look at them and then judge them and put them in boxes based on what you see? Do we decide who's worth talking to and who's not? Who do you sit next to? Who do you avoid? Surely church is the one place on earth where we treat all people equally. James says in verse 2, it could be a real example, it could be a hypothetical, it, it doesn't really matter. Suppose a, a man comes into your church meeting and he's wearing a gold ring that's a sign of an upper class person. He, he has money, he's wealthy, he's wearing fine clothes, the designer label, he looks good. And a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. He's dressed in Vinny's finest, he probably smells And if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a great seat for you. Welcome, lovely to see you. I'm so glad you came to church tonight. Come and sit here. But you turn to the man who's shabbily dressed and says, 
You stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet. Verse 4, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James says, no, you don't know either of these people, but one looks important and the other looks like a loser. And so you judge them. And we decide who to welcome and we decide who God will welcome and we kind of take on that role of God and assume that we have the right to stand and judge other people purely on appearance and purely on dress and purely on looks and purely on education. And according to verse 4, that is evil. As I say, we'd never do that, would we? Let's just think about supper tonight. On a Sunday night at supper, there's often a few people who are standing by themselves. And they're often the people who are different. Let me ask you, when was the last time you invited someone into your home for a meal who could never return the favour, who didn't look like you or dress like you? What about the way we do things here at church? You know, thankfully, gone are the days in church where we have those awful locked pews they used to have back in a long time ago where the rich could sit but the, stand had to, the poor had to stand. Thank goodness they've gone. But we're much more subtle in our discrimination, aren't we? Because we, we structure all of our services and our sermons in a way where unless you're a good reader with tertiary education, it can be very hard to follow. Those who are at our everyday English classes learning English as a second language, it's very hard to follow our church services. Are we subtly communicating that you're not welcome here unless you have a good education? This time of year, we put together all of our connect groups, our Bible study groups. And it's really, really sad. The number of people who email back saying... Can I go to a different group? I don't know the people in my group or I don't like the people in my group or they're not like me. And my fear is that church can become so much like the world. It's just for the clicks and the cool and the trendy and for the in crowd and we're not caring for those people or welcoming people who are different. And James calls that favoritism or discrimination. There was a wonderful occasion here at church a few years ago. It was a Good Friday service. And we had uh, Carol and Dennis. Remember Carol and Dennis? He used to live down at Greenway. They've now moved to Castle Hill. And they're both incontinent. And they both dribble lots. And they both smell of urine. And they sat down here on the front row. And in walked the then Governor General Quentin Bryce. Dressed immaculately. And she walked right up to the front. And she sat right behind them. And she welcomed them. And that's what grace does, isn't it? There's no discrimination. We're all equal in God's eyes. And a faith not lacking will not show favoritism. I'm not talking about your natural friendship. Of course, there'll be people you naturally get on better with. That's not about being showing favoritism. Favoritism is when you look at somebody who you don't know and you judge them purely on the externals because you've decided already whether they belong here or not. Let me give you three reasons why it's wrong. They're on the screen. Because God often chooses the poor. Because the 
rich often oppress God. And because favoritism is sinful. So James says in verse 5, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you Christians have dishonoured the poor. What's confronting about these verses is that he's not talking about spiritual poverty here, he's talking about material poverty. Has not God chosen those people who have nothing in the eyes of the world? Hasn't God chosen those people who are poor, who are nobodies? And God often chooses those people and opens their eyes to Christ and they are rich in faith, they have a a rich relationship with God. But you Christians have chosen to dishonour them and to discriminate against them. And if you read the Bible, you know there are, there are a few examples of, of wealthy Christians in the Bible. Just a few. There's Joseph of Arimathea. He was a wealthy man. There's, there's Job. There's Abraham. But the vast majority were poor, the fishermen, the farmers, the traders. If you read Luke's gospel, it's all about God choosing the poor. And it's not just that money can't buy your salvation. It's that money can be a stumbling block. And it's the same around the world today. There are some examples. There are some examples of churches full of wealthy people, and praise God for that, because I think we're probably one of them here in Kiribati. It's not that God only chooses the poor. He sometimes chooses the rich. But there are thousands and thousands and thousands more churches around the world full of poor, destitute people, often because they recognize their need for God. And all James is saying here is that God showers his grace on people that our society often discards. God lavishes his grace on people that we sometimes treat as nobodies. And if God honours those people, who are we to dishonour them? If God chooses them, who are we to insult them? Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying we don't evangelise the rich people. Of course the rich people need to hear the good news about Jesus. Remember, God often chooses the poor. One of my heroes of the faith is a guy called George Muller who literally housed thousands and thousands and thousands of orphans and set up schools to educate the illiterate people. And through that, many, many people came to faith. The second reason is also confronting. The rich often oppose God. Nothing's changed between James's time and our times today. In James's day, the rich got richer. In James's day, the rich exploited the poor. In James's day, it was the rich who took people to court because they had the money. And James says, "Is not is it not the rich?" Verse verse nine, verse six, rather. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you Christians? Are, are they the rich? Not the ones who are dragging you into court. Are, are the rich not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of Him to whom you belong? James is saying, you know, you belong to Christ, you're God's children, yet you seem to look at the rich with their decadent lifestyles and their immoral behaviour, and in a strange kind of way, it's perversely appealing. Why is that? Remember verse 7, they are the ones who mock God, they are the ones who ridicule Jesus, they're the ones who blaspheme, they're the ones who say they don't need God because they've got everything that money can buy. So why are you so impressed by them? 
I used to be pastor of a church in London in a suburb called Hampstead. A very rich and wealthy suburb. And on the street where the church was, literally there was George Michael, Jude Law, Liam Gallagher, Noel Gallagher, and a couple of Spice Girls lived there. And some of them came to church. I remember Jude Law walking to church one Sunday. And I was kind of ashamed by the way that something within me really wanted to meet him and get to know him as though the rich, the famous, the wealthy were somehow better to know than that poor person who just walked in at the same time. But the reason we don't show favor is because it's sinful. Not just unfortunate, but sinful. That's the word used in verse 9. But if you show favoritism, if you discriminate based on looks, you, you sin. And you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Now, I, I, don't, recognize, I don't reckon that, that favoritism or discrimination springs to mind when I think about confessing my sins. Does it with you? you know, in church, when we say the confession together and the... The pastor might say, now take a moment to think about all the ways you've offended God this week. And through my mind, I go, you know, I've, I've been impatient with my kids and I've got greedy and I've become proud or I was selfish. I honestly cannot remember the time I sat there and thought, well, I've discriminated against someone this week. I've shown favoritism. But God calls it a sin. Remember when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what James says in verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. It's a royal law because it's given by a king, by King Jesus. It's a law, so we must obey it. It's in Scripture. This is God's voice. This is God's command. And the command is love your neighbor as yourself. And when we do that, we're doing right. So let me ask you, who are your neighbours? And the scripture does not say your neighbours are the people who that you like and who you hang around with and the people that you get on well with. According to the scriptures, your neighbours are anybody who comes across your path who's in need. Remember the parable that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan? And that parable, it says, go and be a neighbor. Anybody that comes across your path who has a need, love them, care for them, be kind towards them. And when you do that, verse 8, you're doing right. And again, the church should be the one place, the one place where we love and accept people who are so different and so discarded by the world and so not my social scene, but we love each other deeply. And please don't tell me, says James, that you keep every other bit of the law. Verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law, yet just stumbles at this one point, is guilty of breaking it all. What he's saying there is that the law is like a pane of glass, and if you shatter the glass at one point, the whole thing is gone. So please don't tell me that you do not commit adultery and you do not murder and you don't steal and you honour your father and mother and you don't covet. If you do all those things, good on you, says James. But if you've shown favouritism, you're still a lawbreaker. Remember, the law is not just a list of do's and don'ts. Behind that list stands a person. Behind the command stands a God himself. And if we disobey 
him, we're not just breaking a law, we're dishonouring our Father in heaven. And that's the problem with, with favouritism, that God says love your neighbour, but we choose to ignore our neighbour and we choose to judge people based on what they look like or their social status. So how do you do this? Verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Isn't that great? When we act like Christ, when we do what Christ says, it it gives us freedom. It's liberating. It stops us from snobbery. It reminds us that our status, our identity, is not on how much we earn or how much we've got. But judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. That's a hard, hard verse. It's a tough verse. It's like that verse, if you don't forgive others, you won't be forgiven yourself. He's saying, if you're not being merciful to other people, then you're facing judgment. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, I find this passage very uncomfortable because I think I often judge people or I discriminate based on their appearance, their money, their race, their intellect. I think we're all guilty. So what am I asking you to do? I'm asking you to see every human being through the eyes of your heavenly Father. Every human being is created in the image of God. All equal. No difference whether they are rich or poor, able-bodied or disabled, highly intellectual or totally illiterate. There's no difference. All created by God and loved by God, so who are we to treat them differently? And I think one of the problems of Church by the Bridge is that I think we do a pretty good job at caring for the poor and needy. Now, I think we're pretty good at sending teams down into Greenway to feed people in the housing commission and take the gospel to them. We're good at that. But part of the problem is that we as individuals can hide behind the organized programs and we kind of pat ourselves on the back because, hey, church by the bridge are caring for the housing commission, but are you doing that personally? I think we're good at sending teams into the aged care facilities, into James Milson, into Lansdowne Garden. We're caring for the elderly, for the people that the world forgets. But what about you personally? All I'm asking you to do is this week when somebody comes across your path who is so not like you, so different from you, please don't ignore them. Please don't write them off. Can you imagine if everybody at our church, if every individual did one random act of kindness, one word of encouragement to someone who is totally different, can you imagine how that wave of compassion would just spread out across Sydney this week? It's a very hard passage. But please remember the word from James last week. Don't merely listen to the word. Please do what it says. Let's change the culture. Let's change an attitude. Let's change the church. So our faith is not lacking. Because we do not discriminate and we do not show favoritism. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would forgive us for times when we have judged based on what someone looks like or their skin color 
or their gender or their sexuality. Help us, Lord, to love people well. Help us to care for those who are most in need. In Jesus' name.